and is far more incredible than the best of our technology. So uh, we're going to talk about that this evening. Some of you uh, know I've got uh, two children. I've got a, a nine-year-old son, Caleb, eight-year-old daughter, Addie. And one of my favorite parts about being a dad this time of year is seeing all the fun uh, Christmas art projects that the kids come home with, you know, from school and Sunday school on Sundays. And, and uh, you know, it's always fun to see what they're doing in terms of their painting and coloring. And I heard a great story this week about a little girl who came home from school one afternoon and her mom met her at the door and she walked through the door. She was so excited. She said, Mommy, Mommy, I drew a Christmas picture today and my teacher said it was the most unique Christmas picture she had ever seen. And the mommy said, wow, that's great. She said, can, can I see it? And so the little girl, she dug out her backpack and she pulled out this drawing that she had made. And yeah, sure enough, it was unique. Uh, here on this drawing, there was a picture of an airplane. And uh, on top of this airplane, you know, the mom could see Mary and Joseph holding the baby Jesus. And there were some other characters on the airplane. And her mom said, wow, you know, that, that is a very unique picture. And uh, she said to the little girl, she said, well, tell me, you know, what's the deal? Why are they all on, on this airplane? And the little girl said, mommy, don't you know? You know, she was a little surprised, like her mom couldn't figure out the picture, right? She said, mommy, don't you know? And her mom said, no, what is it? And the little girl said, mommy, it's the flight to Egypt. Well, the mom said, wow, okay, I get it. That's a great drawing. And she said, well, who's this angry, mean-looking man in the front of the airplane? And again, the little girl surprised her mom, you know, that it wasn't obvious. And she said, mommy, don't, don't you know who that is? And the mommy said, no, who is it? And the little girl said, that's Pontius, the pilot. And the mom was kind of starting to figure this out now, and she looked at the rest of the picture, and there was Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. And right behind Mary, there was this real large man with a big round belly. And uh, the mom looked at the little girl. She said, who's, who's this, this man with the big round belly here behind Mary? And again, the little girl was kind of dejected. She was like, Mom, don't you know? And the mom's like, no, who is that? And the little girl said, Mom, that's Round John Virgin. <laughs> I thought that was funny. I loved it. <laughs> you know, we get a kick out of stories like that, but the reality is, you know, a lot of people in our world today, their vision of Christmas isn't too different from that little girl's. You know, there are a lot of people who kind of get some of the basics of Christmas time, but then it gets all mixed up and intermingled with a whole bunch of other stuff, and the true meaning of Christmas sometimes gets a little bit obscured by all the other stuff that we pull into Christmas time. You know, you got Santa Claus and presents and food and, you know, gathering with friends and family and you got Rudolph and Frosty and waiting in line at the mall to get your picture taken with Santa Claus and, and all these things. And, and it's not that any of those things are necessarily bad, but in the midst of all of this stuff that we kind of throw in with Christmas, we oftentimes lose sight of the fundamental, essential, basic meaning of what Christmas is all about. And so tonight, what I really want to do is I want to spend some time going back and, and kind of stepping back from all the stuff that we kind of throw in with Christmas and really get back to the fundamental basics of what Christmas is all about. And friends, you can really summarize Christmas in three simple words. In fact, they're on the screen right behind me. Three simple words, God with us. God with us. Now, the first time these words were ever spoken in the Bible 
was 700 years before the time of Jesus Christ. 700 years before Jesus Christ, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, he received a revelation from God that said a virgin was going to give birth to a son and that this son would be named Emmanuel, which means God with us. 700 years before Jesus Christ, the Bible was already prophesying the arrival of the Messiah. The second time these words come up in scripture are in the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. In the story of Joseph, where Joseph was engaged to be married to Mary, and yet he discovers that Mary's pregnant. And of course, this was a scandalous thing for an unwed couple in first century Jewish Israel. And so Joseph, being an honorable man, he was going to divorce Mary quietly to try to avoid any scandal for her sake. But the Bible tells us that something incredible happened. An angel appeared to Joseph. In fact, let's take a look at how the story unfolds in the Gospel of Matthew because it's an incredible story. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Friends, I would venture that those are three of the most powerful words ever spoken. God with us. And more than anything else, this is what Christmas is all about. God with us. Three simple words, but each of them conveys a really powerful truth. In fact, this is what I want to do tonight. I want to spend some time looking at each of these three words. God with us. Because each of them has a powerful message for us at Christmas time. In fact, Christmas is actually a reminder of the meaning and power that is found in each of these three words. Let's take a look at these three words together tonight and see how here at Christmas time we can be reminded of some very powerful truths. In fact, number one, Christmas reminds us that God exists and He's made Himself known. Friends, God is real, He is there, and He has made Himself known. You know, tonight is Christmas Eve, but do you know what we're going to be celebrating exactly one week from today? One week from today, New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. Now, I can't believe how fast this year has gone. I mean, every time New Year's rolls around, it blows my mind. But do you guys remember New Year's Eve 16 years ago? Do you remember what was going on New Year's Eve 16 years ago? How many of you remember New Year's Eve 16 years ago? What was going on? Y2K, right? How many of you remember Y2K? You remember the whole world 
was waiting in anticipation for the year 2000. Why 2K? The dawn of a new millennium. I mean, some of you guys may have missed it. You were hunkered down in your bunkers waiting for the world to come to an end, right? You know? And then others of us, we were out partying with Prince like it was 1999. And, you know, and, but some of us, we were just you know, enjoying all the coverage on the news, watching as all around the world. Do you guys remember watching the news that night? All around the world. All the major cities, all the major capitals were celebrating Y2K, shooting off fireworks. I remember watching on the news, you know, Tokyo, Beijing, Moscow, Paris, London, Sao Paulo, Mexico City, Washington, all the capital cities in the world celebrating Y2K. Friends, what were we celebrating? The whole world stopped to celebrate 2,000 years for just one reason. Because the whole world could not escape the reality that 2,000 years ago something radical took place that forever changed human history. 2,000 years ago, God invaded human history, separating history into B.C. and A.D. when he broke in to human history and revealed himself personally to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And friends, Christmas fundamentally is about Emmanuel, God with us. It's a declaration to the world that God exists and he has spoken. I find it sad, unfortunately, though, how today so many people, the true meaning of Christmas is just lost for them. You know, for a lot of people today, the whole Christmas story has been written off as just, you know, just kind of a fun story to tell and, you know, maybe a good morality tale. And for others, it's just pure mythology. And they just write it off as just a myth. A couple weeks ago, my daughter came home from school one afternoon and her and some of her friends at school, her third grade class, they had been talking about Christmas. And the topic of God came up and all the kids in our class, you know, they were talking with one another who believes in God and, and one little boy came into the conversation and he said, oh, God's just magic. God's just magic. You know, kind of like Rudolph or Frosty. Just a myth. It's so sad. But it's a common view in our world today. A couple years ago, I was doing some last-minute Christmas shopping down at Rosedale Mall and uh, looking for a gift for my wife, and I was walking down the middle of the mall, and I got uh, uh, abruptly stopped by one of these Israeli salesmen at the kiosks. You know what I'm talking about there in the middle of the mall, these Israeli guys sell? I mean, they, they, they'll suck you in like nothing else, right? And so I got pulled in by one of these guys, and they start having a conversation. He goes, hey, yo, mister, come on over here. I got a great hair product for you. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> But he said, okay, okay, come on, I, I got to show you something for your wife, right? So I come walking over, and I've been to Israel a couple times, and I love talking to the Israelis about, you know, everything going on over in Israel and the history and the politics and all. So I just stopped. I thought it'd be fun to talk to the guy. And so we started talking. As we're talking, uh, you know, he starts trying to build up a rapport with me, and he says, uh, so, mister, tell me, what do, you, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm, I'm actually a pastor. I'm a Christian minister. And he said, oh, oh, you know, he said, now don't hold this against me, but he says, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in any of that stuff. And I said, oh, that's interesting. 
Now, he had started the conversation, right? I mean, he opened the door, so I'm going to take advantage of this, of course. And uh, he says, I don't believe in that stuff. And I said, well, that's really interesting. I said, you know, you've been coming to work here at the mall for what, how long, about a month or two now? And he said, yeah. And I said, you know, every day you come to the mall. And I said, you know, this, this is a huge structure. I mean, a magnificent building when you think about what went into building this thing. You know, with the stores and the parking ramps and the parking lots and all this stuff around here. And I said, let me ask you something. Have you ever met the guy who built this mall? He said, no. I said, well, how do you know he exists? I said, have you ever talked to him? He said, no. Have you ever shook his hand? No. Have you ever seen him? No. I said, well, how do you know he exists? And this guy said, well, it's obvious because the mall is here. And I said, oh, interesting. So we see in a building the reality that there must be a builder. And I pointed over to the Apple computer store, which is just a few feet away, and I said, you know, look at all those amazing computers in there. I mean, those computers, I mean, those things display incredible design. I mean, when you look at one of those machines, when you think about all the functions, all the capabilities of those machines, I mean, those things, those things have some incredible design. Now I said, you know, is, would it be reasonable of me to walk into that Apple store and think that somehow those computers just, poof, came into existence? Or does it make more sense to believe that the design we see in the computers points to a designer? And he said, well, obviously there was a designer. And I said, it's interesting, isn't it? Then I pointed to the artwork he had on his kiosk. He had this big painting displaying his products. And I said, you know, when I look at this painting you got here, that's a really nice, uh, nice display, nice advertisement you have. You know, when I look at art like that, my natural intuition is to believe that there was an artist who created that work of art. And he said, well, yeah, there was. And I said, and how about your display here? You got all your products. They're really nicely arranged, kind of in a pyramid shape here. They, they represent just beautiful order here, displayed, have you, oh, they're all set up. I said, you know, when I was walking down the mall, when I saw that pyramid of your products displayed there, I didn't assume that that just happened by chance. I believe that there must have been somebody who ordered those things that way. And he said, well, yeah, I did that. I said, isn't it really interesting when you stop and think about it? All of these different man-made things that we look at, we, we see creation, we see design, we see art, we see order. And I said to this young man, I said, you know, if we see creation, design, art, and order in man-made things, why is it when we look at the natural world and we see the exact same things, creation, design, art, and order, we say, oh, no, there couldn't be a God. He said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, think about this. I said, take the universe, for example. I said, every scientist in the world today is in unanimous agreement that sometime in the distant past, the universe exploded into existence out of nothing. I said, but everything we know about science and about logic tells us that things don't come from nothing. If something has a beginning, there must have been a beginner that started it. He said, that's really interesting. I guess I've never thought about that. And I said, you know, when you, when you think about the design we see in creation, I said, take your brain, for example. I said, your brain, you've got a three-pound brain greater than any computer on earth. A three-pound brain with 120 billion cells, 130 trillion electronic chemical connections. And that all just happened by chance? He said, wow. I said, man, yeah, it sure takes a lot of faith to be an atheist, doesn't it? 
I said, you know, think about the art we see in the natural world, the beauty of a rainbow, the glory of a sunset. I mean, it makes any other human work of art pale in comparison, and yet how can we not say there's not an artist behind that? When you look at the order we see in creation, the precision of mathematics, the incredible uh, nature of physics and chemistry, how all of that just works. Friends, when we look at the natural world, what do we see? We see creation, we see design, we see art, we see order. I told this young Israeli man, I, I see evidence for God all around me. I said, it's just like the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.20. In Romans 1 verse 20, the Apostle Paul says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Friends, the evidence for God is there. It's all around us if we're willing to see it. Creation, design, art, and order. And friends, what's even more amazing than all the evidence that we see in creation, even more amazing than that is that the God of the universe most clearly revealed himself to us 2,000 years ago by coming into this world in the form of a tiny baby. Friends, the one we discern and all we see in creation was made visible in what we call the incarnation, God becoming flesh. You know, my son Caleb, he's almost 10 years old. I remember 10 years ago before he was born. We had all kind of evidence for Caleb before he was born. I mean, my wife's belly was getting big and I could feel him kicking on her tummy. We even had ultrasound pictures of Caleb. But friends, it wasn't until that special day in February when my son was born and I held him in my own arms, I saw him in human flesh that what was once just perceived in the evidence became real to me in a tiny baby boy. And I'll tell you something, friends. Christmas is our reminder that the creator, designer, artist, and orderer of the universe took on human flesh and became one of us so that we could see him most clearly and know him most certainly in the person of Jesus Christ. It's like the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 2, verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. What's Paul saying? He's saying if you want to know who God is, look to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. He is the fullness of deity in bodily form. Why did Jesus do this 2,000 years ago, that first Christmas? This leads me to point number two. Christmas reminds us that God entered history to be with us. To be with us. With. What a powerful word. Think about that word for a minute, with. What an amazing idea. With is about togetherness. It's about companionship. It's about security. With declares, I am not alone. God came to be with us. I've learned a lot in the last nine months about the beauty and power of with. You all know my wife has been dealing with cancer for the last nine months. 
You know, 12 years ago, I made a promise, I made a vow to my wife that I would be with her for better or for worse till death do us part. We've gotten a lot of the for better over the years. And for whatever reason, God's seen fit in the last nine months to let us go through some of the worst together. But friends, the point is, is we've been with one another. And going through this journey, this battle of cancer together, I can tell you this, going through that with her together, I love her more today than I, can, I could have even fathomed nine months ago. We've learned a lot about the power of with, about being together as we've gone through this battle. It's been really interesting, some of the things you've seen, we've seen as we've gone through this battle with cancer. You know, you go down to the chemo center and the doctor's offices and you see a lot of interesting things and you see a lot of people dealing with a lot of tough stuff. One of the saddest things I saw earlier this summer, Kim and I, we were at the chemo center waiting for her treatment and a young lady couldn't have been any older than early 20s. Young lady came out of the doctor's office into the waiting room area and she sat down just a few feet from, few feet from us and she was just sobbing. I mean, beautiful young girl, just sobbing. Totally uncontrollably. And it was obvious that she had just gotten some really bad news. But the saddest part of it was she was all alone. She wasn't with anyone. And she was there, heartbroken, sobbing. And I know my wife and I, we just looked at each other, and I know the same thing was going through both of our minds at the time. We were both saying we should go over and talk to her and encourage her. And friends, I, in all honesty, I was literally about to get out of my seat and go and sit next to her when another nurse came out of the clinic door and grabbed her and pulled her away. And so all we could do was just pray and, you know, entrust her to God at that point. But, you know, it's amazing how important it is to have that with in your life, to be with someone. We all need with because we were made for relationships. We were made to experience companionship, togetherness, the security that comes from that. And Christmas, friends, Christmas is a reminder that in Jesus Christ, we have the ultimate with. For God entered into human history to be with us. A few years ago, my wife and I had a chance to go to Ukraine together. I was teaching at a Bible college over in Ukraine in Eastern Europe. And halfway through our week there at the Bible college, we were invited to go to this youth outreach night. And uh, they were inviting youth from the community, teenagers, to come. And they were going to do games and fun, you know, have kind of like a youth group type thing. And, and so we thought we were just going to go and kind of observe and hang out and have a good time. Well, about halfway through the night, our translator kind of comes nudging up close to me. And she says, okay, Pastor Jason, they're going to have you speak now. And I'm thinking to myself, what? <laughs> Nobody said anything about this. And she, and, uh, she said, I'm going to translate. And all of a sudden, the host of the evening, he gets up and he starts saying some things in Russian that I didn't understand. And my translator starts speaking. And she says, okay, now our special guest from the United States, Pastor Jason, is going to come and bring a message to us this evening. And I'm thinking, unbelievable, of course, right? I had nothing prepared. These are teenagers. I mean, speaking to teenagers is hard enough for Pete's sake, you know. And now I'm speaking to a bunch of teenagers, Russian, Ukrainian teenagers, totally different culture. And I'm just thinking real quick on my feet. I'm saying, Lord, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? 
and God, the Holy Spirit, he just spoke to me on, at that moment. He said, Jason, tell the anthill story. And I said, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> the anthill story, it's a great story. I've told it all over the world. It's a story that no matter where you are, people from any background, any culture can relate to because no matter where you go in the world, everybody has ants, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> right? So I got up and I told this story to these Ukrainian teenagers. I said, you know, there was a, once upon a time, there was a father and his little boy and they were wa- walking along a dirt path. And as they were walking along this dirt path, they came across an anthill that somebody ahead of them had stepped on and smashed. And they looked down and these ants, you know, their house was destroyed and these ants were, some of them were dead, some of them were broken and wounded and the others were scurrying around trying to put their home back together. And this little boy, you know, a little three-year-old little boy, he looked up at his daddy he said, Daddy, wouldn't it be nice if we could go down and tell those ants that we love them? Tell those ants that we care about them? And the dad, you know, with all the love and compassion he had, he looked down at his little boy and he said, Son, the only way we could go down and tell those ants we love them, tell those ants that we care about them, is if we could become ants ourselves. And if we could live like the ants and talk like the ants, By our lives, they would know what we are like and how much we care about them. And I said, you know, 2,000 years ago, God looked down upon a world that he made, a world that he loved. And he saw his creation wrestling with despair and brokenness and the shackles of sin and greed and corruption and all that is wrong with human nature. And God said, I want to tell you how much I love you. How will I do that? God said, I will become a man. And I will live like a man and talk like a man. And by my life, you will know what I am like. And so 2,000 years ago, friends, the greatest event that ever took place transpired when God invaded human history taking on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, God invaded human history to personally reveal himself to us, to be with us. Jesus came to be with us. The Gospel of John says it like this in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word. John uses the term the word to refer to Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, Jesus Christ, and the word was with God and the word was God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Friends, Jesus came full of grace and truth. He came to be with us with us in our brokenness, with us in our heartache and our pain, with us in our rebellion with us in our sin that separates us from our holy creator God. Jesus came to be with us. And he came full of grace and truth, John says. Full of grace in that when Jesus came into this world, he says, I don't care who you are, I don't care your background, I don't care what you've done, I have come to tell you that I love you and I wanna be with you. That's what grace is. And he came with truth, John says, because Jesus was the truth. He was the way and the truth and the life. And he says, I've come to lead you in the way that leads to life and life to the full. 
He came because he loves us and he wants to be with us. And this leads me to point number three this evening. Christmas reminds us, number three, that God offers us, every single one of us, an incredible gift. God offers us an incredible gift. John describes this gift like this in the book of 1 John. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the gift right there. It's God in his love looking down upon his creation and saying, I love you so much and I can't handle the fact that we've been separated because of your sin and your brokenness. And so God in his holiness, he stepped down of his eternal glory in heaven and he broke into human history, entering into our world in the form of a man so that we could know him and then ultimately so that he could be the perfect sacrifice, shedding his blood on the cross, taking our sin, taking our place and our punishment. He died for us, becoming that atoning sacrifice or substitute for our sins so that we could be reconciled to our God and made right in relationship with our God once again. That's the gift And friends, I need to ask you tonight on Christmas Eve, have you received that gift? Ten years ago, I really got into fishing. I I never really fished a whole lot growing up. I mean, just kind of off and on. But ten years ago, I met a guy who really introduced me to fishing, and specifically bass fishing. And I I became a nut over bass fishing. I became crazy about it. And uh, as I started learning more about bass fishing, it became quickly apparent to me that my little Snoopy pole from Kmart wasn't going to cut it for very long, right? So, uh, so one year, I asked my mom and dad for Christmas. I said, Mom, Dad, here's what I want for Christmas. I want, I want this fishing pole. It's called a G. Loomis fishing rod. It's a, it was a seven-foot-tall fishing rod. It's kind of like the Cadillac of fishing rods. And this fishing pole, all right, now, now, don't gasp audibly, this fishing pole was nearly $200, all right? Now, for some of you, you're thinking for $200, that, that fishing pole better take you to the fish, catch them, and clean them too, you know what I'm saying, right? It didn't quite do that, but I mean, it was a really darn good fishing pole. And so I was just, I was super excited. I, this is all I wanted for the Christmas that year. Well, lo and behold, I go over to my folks' house on Christmas morning, and what do I see leaning up against the Christmas tree? A seven-foot-tall tube wrapped in Christmas paper and bow. And I'm thinking to myself, yes! I got my fishing pole! You remember, Mom? I was so excited. I mean, what else is that going to be, right? I mean, what else do you get under the Christmas tree? Seven foot tall rod in a, you know, wrapped in a, you know, big cardboard tube. What else is that, right? It's my fishing pole, of course. So I was so excited. All morning, I could hardly contain myself. You know, we had breakfast, and I'm just like, when are we going to get to the presents, right? And, and I was so excited because I knew what was in it. I knew what was in it. But here's the deal. Friends, that fishing pole, it didn't really become real to me. It didn't become useful to me. It didn't really become mine until I took it and opened it up and unwrapped it and embraced it as my own. Before that, it was just a fishing pole and a tube laying up against a tree. And you know, the thing about Christmas, friends, and the real meaning of Christmas is a lot of us here, 
have heard the story of Jesus and the Virgin and the Messiah and, you know, and the wise men and the shepherd. We know the story. And we even know the whole point. You know, Jesus came into the world to die on a cross for my sins and he rose again. Yeah, 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 I heard all that in Sunday school. And for a lot of us, we leave the Christmas story wrapped up in its nice little package, leaning up against the tree, and we never fully embrace it and unwrap it and make it our own. And there's a lot of people who I think, they leave that present wrapped up against that tree and they just leave it out there all year long. And they say, you know, I'm good, Pastor Jason, I'm all good, I, I got my present, it's right over there. Haven't opened it, but you know, it's all good. I know what's in it. In fact, my brother got one and he opened his, so you know, I'm hanging out with him, so I must be okay. And you know, I, I'm gonna open it someday, Pastor Jason. But friends, the reality is, just like my fishing pole, the gift that God offers us in Jesus Christ, until we embrace it and make it our own, it doesn't do any good for us. It has no use. The Bible says we need to receive that gift and make it our own. Look what John says in John chapter three. You guys have seen John three sixteen at the football games, right? It's all about the gift I'm talking about. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the gift right there. Here, I've given you this gift. It's about eternal life. It's about forgiveness of sins. I did this because I loved you. And this is awesome. John goes on and he says, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. Friends, our world needs to hear that message. Right? So many people think Christianity is about condemnation and judgment and rules. No! If that's what you think Jesus is all about, you are seriously wrong. God didn't send Jesus to condemn the world. He sent him to save the world through him. Why? Because he loves you. That's why he did it. But here's the deal. John goes on and he says, you gotta embrace the gift you got to open it. You can't leave it up against the tree. John goes on, he says, whoever believes in him, whoever receives it and opens it, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe and does not receive and does not open stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You see, our creator God is holy and he cannot tolerate sin. That's what holiness is. It's, it's totally other, totally set apart. He's holy and he cannot tolerate sin. And the reality is, is all of us, friends, are sinners. All of us fall short of God's glory and his holiness. I mean, we've all made mistakes. And so if we haven't received that gift of reconciliation through Jesus Christ, it's our problem. We stand condemned already. Because God in his holiness, he loves us, he sent the gift, but we need to receive it. Whoever receives that gift is not condemned. Whoever does not receive it stands condemned already. So here again, friends, the whole point of tonight and the whole point of Christmas is simply this. Have you received that gift? Have you made it your own? Some of you are saying, well, how do I do that, Jason? It's so easy. This is, what's, this, is what, this is the greatest whole, this is the greatest piece about it. It's a gift. 
right? I mean, what's the nature of a gift? You can't earn it, you can't work for it, you can't buy it. If it's not freely given, it's not really a gift, right? So how do you receive the gift? Well, God offers it. Here's how you receive it. Romans 10, 9, and 10. Paul, the apostle Paul, he says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess that you confess and are saved. So in other words, receiving the gift is as easy as saying, Jesus, I acknowledge that you are Lord. I acknowledge that you came into this world to be a sacrifice for my sins. And Jesus, I believe in you with all my heart. And I want to receive that gift. The amazing promise of the Bible and the good news of the gospel, that's what the word gospel means, if you don't know, it means good news. It's good news because here's the deal. 1 John 1, 9, John again, he tells us that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and he will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's all it is. Believing in Jesus, confessing your sins, embracing that gift, and boom, he makes us a new creation. More incredibly than that, in John chapter 1, verse 12, John says that to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives them the right to be called children of God. Because he loves you. I got a gift. I want to be with you. I want you to own life and life to the full. Friends, have you received that gift? You know, if you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, I, I don't know. I mean, I know about all this stuff because I've been here to this Christmas service before, but I don't know. I don't think I've ever really opened up that gift for myself. Why not? Why not even now, tonight? Why not this Christmas? Let it be the greatest Christmas present you've ever received. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Have you received that gift? Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message of Christmas, the promise of God with us and all that that means. And Lord, I just thank you for what you've done in my life through Jesus Christ. I thank you how you've changed my heart. I thank you for how you've forgiven me of my sins. I thank you for showing me what real life is all about in a relationship with my creator. And man, I'll be the first to admit I'm not perfect. But I'll also be the first to admit that that's exactly why Jesus is so special. Because he loves me. And he's shown me the path that leads to life and life to the full. And Lord, I, I would be willing to bet in a room like this with so many people tonight that there, there might be somebody here tonight who is listening to this message and they're thinking to themselves, you know, I, I, I've heard about all this, I've heard about Jesus, and, uh, but I just don't know if I've ever really received that gift for myself. And I pray, Jesus, that even right here, right now, that if that person is out there somewhere tonight, that they might just say a simple prayer right where they're sitting in the quiet of their own heart that they might just say a simple prayer acknowledging their need for you. Something like, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've made mistakes. But I want to be made right. I want to have a relationship with you again. I want to know life to the full. 
Jesus, I believe that you came to die for my sins. And I put my trust in you tonight, Jesus. I want to receive that gift and enter into a relationship with you. Friends, I'll tell you this. The words really are, are incon- really inconsequential. It really comes down to what's going on in your heart because God knows your heart. And so if, if you simply pray to the Lord tonight, tell him you need him. Tell him you want that gift. I want to receive that gift. God knows your heart. And he'll come, he'll live within you, he'll make you his child. He'll make you a new creation. And I promise you it's the greatest present you'd ever receive. Lord, if, if there's somebody here tonight who needs that gift, I pray that they'll call you into their life right here, right now. Thank you, Jesus, for Christmas, for all that it means, Lord. May we leave here tonight with a renewed vision, or maybe even a new vision of all Christmas is about. God with us. In your name we pray. Amen.